hey, welcome to First Church. It's great seeing everybody, and we want to welcome in our Stone Canyon family as well as those joining us online. So if you would put your hands together, welcome to our time of study here today. And if, t- if today is your first Sunday with us, our mission here is to love Jesus and love like Jesus. And that's just not something we say. It's not a couple of good slogans. It's who we are, and it's who we're trying to be. When we say we want to love like Jesus, we really mean that. Because we believe that God has placed this church in this place at this point in history to unleash a revolution of his love on Northeast Oklahoma. And this past Sunday, we had an incredible, unique opportunity to do just that. If you were here with us last Sunday, you know that we wrapped up our Your Invited series. And every week in that series, we threw a different type of party. And it all came to a head last Sunday with our first church carnival. So when you left services last week, you probably saw carnival rides and food and games and face painting and tents and a touch a truck exhibit and train rides and all sorts of stuff, a concert outside, and we provided free food like cotton candy and corn dogs and nachos and popcorn, snow cones, all sorts of cool stuff, and it was an incredible day. We had tons of people from our community come and be a part of this event, and we did this not just to throw a carnival for the sake of throwing a carnival. We did this to unleash God's love on our community, and I heard tons of stories this past week of lives that were touched because of the carnival. One story I heard, this guy walked up to one of our church volunteers, and he let this guy know that he was a single dad, and he brought his three kids with him to the carnival. They don't go to our church normally, but they came to the carnival, and he was thinking, thanking this church volunteer and saying, hey, we don't have a whole lot of money. Money's often tight. We don't get to do stuff like this, so this is great that you provided this carnival for free and then the guy looked at our church volunteer and he said what type of church is this and you know we would want him to say well we're an independent Christian church and describe exactly who we are but that's not what he said I like his answer even better he said well we're a church that throws carnivals because we love people and I just love that answer that was great and the guy was really touched by that Another story that I actually experienced myself, I talked to a lady, she was a mom, we brought her two kids with her last Sunday, they came to service not knowing we were going to have a carnival here, they just came to service, they googled our church and showed up, and then when they heard about the carnival, they stayed after for it, and so I met her outside and we were talking, and she was telling me that her son is 10 years old and he's just coming to the point in life where he understands the concept of money, like things cost things, uh, things cost a certain price, and so her son kept saying, now how much is a snow cone, how much is a corn dog, how much is a ride and she would say over and over again no it's free it's free and finally he said mom who's paying for this stuff you tell me somebody's got to pay for it uh, for everything you know who's paying for this stuff and she looked at her 10 year old son and said well first church is paying for everything and he looked at her and he said first church is awesome and I don't know if we're awesome but our God is awesome and he gave us an awesome opportunity last Sunday if you missed it here's a quick video of what took place
Clap for that. I just want to let you know, I didn't try that spinning ride. I would have been sick the rest of the afternoon, but I did a lot of that stuff, and it was just so cool to see people enjoying themselves and seeing our church unleash love. So I just want to say two things. First of all, thank you. Thank you for being a church that throws carnivals. Thank you for being a church that invested in this past series. And I would just want to appreciate all of our volunteers and all of our staff that helped make this happen. Thank you so much for being a church at those carnivals. But I also want to say something else. And it's that we're not done yet. About a year and a half ago, we launched our new mission statement, Love Jesus, Love Like Jesus. And guys, we're only just beginning to unleash a revolution of God's love on the 918. We're only just getting started. We're going to keep doing this because we want all of Owasso and beyond to know that there's a God who loves them and there's a church here who loves them as well. So thank you, but keep it up because we want to be a church where real faith shows up in real ways in order to help real people. That's our goal. We want to be a church where real faith shows up in real ways to help real people. And that's what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks as we kick off this new series today on the book of James. And we're calling this series Walk the Talk because I think this is something that is needed, especially in our culture today. As a preaching minister, I talk to a lot of people about the church, both those who come to church and those who don't. And those who don't come to church have a constant criticism of the church. And I hear it a lot. You've probably heard it too. They will say things like, well, I don't want to go to church because Christians don't always live out what they believe. A lot of times what they claim to believe doesn't match how they live in daily life. And you've probably heard that before. Now, sometimes that criticism is unfair because I think sometimes people think that Christians should be perfect or at least close to perfect. And I just want to let you know again, if you're new here today, we are not a church that claims to be perfect. We are sinners saved by the grace of God. And so what that means is we all have bad days. We all mess up. We all need God's grace desperately every single day. And so sometimes when people make this statement like, I don't want to come to church uh, because they're just a bunch of hypocrites. And what they mean by that is they're not perfect enough. I just want to say, I know you are, but what am I? You know, I just want to respond like, do you realize what the church is supposed to be all about? We're here for broken people. We're here for sinners. And Jesus is changing us, and we're all a work in progress. So sometimes that criticism isn't fair. But sometimes it is. Because on a regular basis, on a consistent basis, if what we claim to believe doesn't match up with how we live, it'll give the church a bad reputation. It'll give Jesus a bad reputation. On a consistent basis, if there's a gap between what we claim to believe and how we live, we're not going to represent Christ very well in this world, and our world isn't going to want to have anything to do with him. You see, faith that isn't changing us isn't real faith. What should be happening is the longer we follow Jesus, the more we should start to look like him. And if that's not the case, over time, if we're not starting to look more and more like Jesus, then something's wrong. Maybe we're really not following him. Maybe our faith isn't exactly what we think it is. Because a faith that's in our minds but never reaches our hands and our feet is an empty faith. It's a dead faith. And really, that's the overall theme of the book of James found in our New Testament. In the very first chapter of James's book, listen to what he says, James 1.22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. 
And here's the thing. James isn't writing to non-believers. He isn't writing to those outside the church. He's writing to those who claim to follow Jesus. He's writing to the church, and he's saying, don't just merely listen to God's word. Do what it says. And there's a reason why James is reminding these early Christians of the first century world of this truth, and he's also reminding us of this truth as well. As followers of Jesus, we should never be comfortable with a lack of integrity between what we believe and what we do. Because when that's the case, when there's a gap between our beliefs and our actions, people will dismiss the church, and they will want nothing to do with our God. And that's why James says what he says. Because if what we believe doesn't make a difference in how we live, then what's the point? It's a waste. It's useless. And that's why James goes on to say basically that in verse 17 of chapter 2. He says, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. And I think when James uses this word faith, he's actually putting air quotes around it. He's saying faith, so-called faith, if it's not followed up by action, if it's not accompanied by action, it's dead faith. In other words, it's not real. Because faith that doesn't show up in our daily routine isn't real faith. Real faith shows up in real ways. Let me illustrate it like this. How many of you guys have ever heard of P90X? Let me see your hands. Anybody ever heard of P90X? Okay, the large majority of you. If you're not familiar with it, it's a home exercise workout routine that was real popular about 10, 15 years ago. And if you have tried it, you know it is intense. You get the DVDs or you get it online and you go through 90 days of workouts and you can do it from your home. You just need the right weights and stuff, but you can do it from your home and you never have to go to a gym. And if you actually do it, You will get in shape. I had a buddy in college that did P90X, and he followed the routine for 90 days. And at the end of it, he had lost a whole bunch of weight, and he started to form muscles he didn't even know he had. I mean, he was just unbelievably in shape after he did P90X. And it works. It's intense, but it works. And so what if I came to you today and I said, you know, guys, this may shock you. This may surprise you. But I don't work out on a regular basis. And so I'm going to start. I'm going to try. Now, I know, I mean, I know, it it looks like I work out, but I don't. And so I'm going to start today, and I want you guys to hold me accountable because, you know, I think I need it. And when I take my shirt off, nobody accuses me of being an Abercrombie and Fitch model. You know, uh, nobody thinks that I look good. In fact, I remember one time I was watching a movie with Allison before we had kids. We were sitting in our living room. We are watching this movie, and the star in the movie was this Hollywood hunk, stud, whatever, that all the girls are crazy about, and he's got muscles, and he's ripped, and he's cut, and all that kind of stuff, and they're showing off all of his muscles in this movie, and we're watching this, and I turned to Allison, and I said, you know, Allison, a lot of girls think that he's good looking. Do you think he's good looking? And she looked at me, I'll never forget what she said. She said, you know, I'm just glad that I'm not attracted to guys who look like that. I don't know what she meant by that. I don't know if that's a compliment or an insult. I took it as an insult. I think she meant as a compliment. But anyway, I'm never confused for being an Abercrombie and Fitch model. Okay, so let's say I need to work out, and I'm going to start today, and I need you guys to hold me accountable because to do this for 90 days, you know, I need your help. So I'm going to do P90X, and I'm just going to start my routine 
right here, right now. I'll do it right here on stage. I've got this set up like a TV room in your home. Got my chair there and everything ready to go. So I'm going to turn on my TV, and we're going to see if this works here. Uh, we had a little had some issues with it working in first service, but I think we can get it to work. There you go, the DVD player's coming on. And so here in just a second, we're gonna see this P90X intense workout video, and I'm gonna try it for you, okay? And I'm gonna see, um, I'm gonna see if I can do this for you just for at least a few minutes, and then you guys rate me. Tell me how well I do. So let's see if we can get this thing rolling here. Resume play. Here we go, maybe, cross our fingers. I'm not good with technology, so I'm really hoping that this works. There we go. Okay, so here's P90X. Here's our coach. He's going to tell me what to do. I'm jogging. I'm ready to go. Let's go, okay? Okay, now this looks intense, doesn't it? Okay, they're already sweating. I mean, they're just barely into this. They're already sweating, okay? But uh, this isn't right, is it? I mean, this isn't accomplishing anything. This isn't good. Here, this is better, isn't it? Yeah, that's much better. Yeah, all right. You know, something still doesn't feel right about this. Uh, what, I know what I'm missing. How about some popcorn? That'll be good. And I'll sit here and eat my popcorn. Yeah. I don't eat popcorn a lot. It's kind of nasty. But anyway, that's fine. I'll eat my popcorn and then, hey, I need something to wash it down with. How about a Coke? You know, got to have that. Here we go. And I'm going to sit here and I'm going to intensely watch everything that they do. And I'm going to pay attention to everything they say. And I'm going to know this DVD frontwards and backwards, you know. Now let me ask you. Does anybody think I'm going to get in shape if I sit here in this chair for 90 days, eat popcorn, drink Coke, and just watch this video? Of course not. Obviously, I'm not. I mean, I can know this video forwards and backwards. I can have every line memorized. I can know every workout by heart. But if I don't actually do it, there's not going to be any results, right? In fact, if I sit here and just eat popcorn and drink Coke, I'm probably going to get worse shape, right? It's not going to work. So... Here's the thing. We know that when it comes to a workout, that's common sense. That's obvious. I've got popcorn in my mouth I'm spitting out. But anyway, that's obvious, right? We know that that's not going to work. But yet sometimes that's exactly how we treat our faith. We come to church and we show up and we listen to the sermon and we pay attention and we agree with everything that the preacher says and we observe worship and we may even sing out loud at times and we go to a small group study. We go through all those motions, but then when we get out and we leave the church campus, leave the church family, we never actually implement what we say we agree with. And then we wonder why God isn't making a huge impact in our lives. We wonder why we're not impacting others. And it's because if you don't actually implement what you believe, then what's the point? See, if we're being honest with ourselves, we've all been guilty of this. We've all done it. And we're not alone. This is a struggle that followers of Jesus have had since the very beginning, since the start of the church, and that's exactly what James is addressing in his book. He is writing to people who are tempted to think that their actions and daily life really don't matter just as long as they believe the right stuff. 
So here's our background. Here's what's going on. The book of James in our New Testament is actually a letter, a letter that James wrote. And many biblical uh, scholars believe that it was the first of our New Testament books written. J.W. McGarvey, the famous and well-known restoration movement theologian, believed that James was the very first book in the New Testament ever written. And it was written within the the first few decades of the church. And at this time, the church is a Jewish church. The Gentiles haven't come to the faith yet, and it's confined, the church is confined to the city of Jerusalem. And they're there for the first few decades until persecution breaks out. And in Acts chapter 8, we see that the Jewish authorities, those who haven't converted to Christianity, they're jealous of the numbers that the church is having. And so they attack the church, these Jewish authorities, Jewish leaders, and the church is forced to disperse throughout the world, to scatter. And in Acts 8 verse 4, it says, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. And I love that word scattered. It actually just means in Greek dispersed. So what this meant was these young followers of Jesus who have just started following him, they now have to live in lands where Christianity has never existed. They now have to live in cultures that aren't friendly to Christianity. And in those areas that aren't friendly to Christianity in such cultures, it's easy to let your faith slip into stealth mode. And haven't we all been there before? I mean, some of you listening to this message right now, you're the only Christian in your family. And when you go home today, you're going to get those odd looks or those eye rolls. Or maybe your family's past that because you've been coming to church for some time, you've been a Christian for some time, they're past that, but you still know what they're thinking. And it's awkward because you're the only one in your family who claims to follow Jesus. Some of you listening to this message today, you work in an office or maybe you go to a school where it's tough to be a follower of Jesus and it's easier just to suppress your faith rather than express your faith because you receive constant social pressure to fit in and just be like everyone else. And then there's just the simple reality that oftentimes following Jesus is tough. It's not easy. And Jesus asks us to do some tough stuff. I mean, loving our enemies and being kind to people who don't deserve it, that's tough. I mean, submitting to Jesus' teachings on sexual intimacy, that's tough when no one else is doing it. Not cheating in your workplace like everybody else does to get ahead, that's tough when everybody else is doing it. Not lying when everybody else lies in order to get ahead. It's just easier sometimes to fit in and go along with the flow, go along with the culture. Sometimes it's easy just to settle for a faith that's in our heads, but it's never actually lived out. And James is worried that that's what's going on in the first century world. That's what his, his fellow believers are going to be tempted to do. See, James was a leader in the church in Jerusalem, and as he hears about his brothers and sisters, his fellow followers of Jesus going out into lands where Christianity isn't accepted, he's worried about them. He's worried that they will be tempted just to hide their faith. And so in James 1 verse 1, the very first line of this letter, he identifies himself, and look at what he says. He says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. There's that word scattered. It's the same word that was used in Acts 8 verse 4. He's worried about these followers of Jesus who have dispersed, who've gone out into different lands. They're on their heart. They're on his mind. And he doesn't want to them, he doesn't want for them to start hiding their faith, suppressing their faith. And so what James does is he writes a powerful and encouraging letter 
to these young believers. And for a lot of Christians even today, James's letter is a fan favorite. People love to study the book of James. There's a few reasons for that. One, James's letter is short. His book is only about five pages in your Bible, so it's pretty easy to get through. But also, it's a pretty... Um, straightforward book. He talks about real life issues and it's not a difficult read. So a lot of Christians, they gravitate towards the book of James. They like studying it. But even though James is easy to read, let me just let you know something. It's not an easy read. That's why I try to stay away from calling the book of James practical. Because what James is calling us to do is walk the talk. And sometimes walking the talk is very difficult. It's more practical, it's more easy just to go along with the flow. James is asking us to live differently, to live like Jesus. And so in chapter 2, verse 14, which is where we're going to study today, James is going to address those who might be tempted to think that our actions, our daily routine really doesn't matter as long as we believe the right stuff. So let's read and see what James says, James 2 at verse 14, and we're going to read through verse 17 together. And this is what James writes. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. If you can't tell, James is pretty straightforward. He doesn't hide anything. He doesn't beat around the bush. He just tells it like it is. And James uses two key words to address those who might be tempted to think that their daily lives don't really matter as long as they believe the right stuff in their heads. And the first word that he uses is the word faith. And by faith in this context, he's just talking about our beliefs, our core beliefs as followers of Jesus. And then he uses another word, and that's the word deeds. And by deeds, he's referencing our actions, our good works that we actually carry out. And so what James is doing is he's addressing the person who might be tempted to think, you know, all that really matters, all that really counts is what I believe. My actions, they really don't matter. I mean, as long as I believe the right stuff, that's all that God really cares about. And what James is going to say is, nope. That's not the case at all. What James is going to teach us is that a real statement of faith is not keeping a checklist of theological doctrines. It's not keeping this list and saying, okay, I believe in God, check. I believe in Jesus' Son, check. I believe in the Holy Spirit, check. I believe in the virgin birth, check. I believe in the resurrection, check, 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 check. Sign my name on the dotted line. There's my statement of faith. Now, all this stuff's important. I'm not lessening any of those truths. Don't misunderstand me. But he's saying that's not a statement of faith. A statement of faith is when you reflect the heart of Jesus in daily life. When you actually take those teachings, those doctrines, and you live them out, that's how you state your faith. And he uses a hypothetical example here, situation, to try to illustrate this truth. He says, let's say that you have a friend who's in need, and you find this friend in need, and maybe they're hungry, they're without food, or maybe they're without clothes, and you see them in need, and you walk past them, and you say, oh, buddy, I am so sorry that you're in this situation. I just hate to see you like this. Boy, I hope your situation changes soon. And then you walk on, and you leave. James says, do you really care about that person? Do you really love that person? If you can see them in desperate need and walk off and not try to help them in any way, of course not. And that's when he goes on to say in verse 17, in the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is 
dead. You know, sometimes our actions do speak louder than our words. I'll never forget when I first started preaching full-time ministry, I went to a preacher's luncheon that was held in Lexington, Kentucky, which was about an hour from where I lived at the time. And there were over 100 preachers that showed up to his luncheon, all from the area. And it was just a great time, and it was refreshing and a good luncheon. But I got to sit at a table with a guy um, who was kind of a well-known figure in that area. He wasn't at the biggest church in Lexington, but he was at a decent-sized church in Lexington. And he had been uh, in ministry for years, and everybody recognized his name. And so it was cool to get to sit beside him and talk to him. And he was just super nice. And he said, you know, Chad, as a young preacher, if you ever need anything, I'm here for you. And next time you're in Lexington, just call my office. We'll go out and we'll grab lunch. I just want to encourage you. I thought, this is great. This is awesome. So I left that luncheon that day. A few weeks passed. And I had to go back to Lexington. So I called his office up and said, hey, I happen to be in town today. Does he want to grab lunch? And Talked to his assistant. His assistant told me that he was busy. And so I was like, okay, that's fine. I understand that. You know, in ministry, you get busy. That's cool. And so I just let it pass. A few more weeks went by. Called again because I had to go back to Lexington. And so I called his office. And sure enough, he was busy again. Over the next two years, I tried eight different times to have lunch with this guy. I wasn't a stalker. I wasn't calling him every week. Don't worry. But over a two-year period, I called his office eight different times to see if he was free to have lunch. And every single time, he was too busy. The last two times I called, I said, hey, I've just got to be in Lexington sometime this week, so just let me know what day is good for you. Gave him multiple options, and still, he was too busy. And after two years, I realized that guy really didn't want to have lunch with me. Now, his intentions may have been right, but he really, deep down, didn't want to have lunch with me. Sometimes our actions do speak louder than our words, And James says that when that's the case for our faith, when our faith is just mere words, it's dead. Faith that isn't lived out is dead faith. In other words, it's useless, empty, inauthentic, phony, counterfeit faith. So practically speaking, what that means is you can believe all the right stuff about God and you can believe all the truths contained in the Bible. But if you're not living it out... You don't have faith because it's possible to believe in God and still be very far from him. James tells us this when we read on verse 19. You believe that there is one God? Good. Good for you. Even the demons believe that and shudder. I love that Greek word that is used for shudder. It means to have your hair stand up. I love that. And when James here is saying, hey, you believe in the one true God? Good for you. You have the same faith as the average run-of-a-mill demon. And let me tell you something. Sometimes the demons know a whole lot more about God than we do. I don't know about you, but I don't want to get into a, I don't want to play a game of biblical jeopardy with a demon. And that would be terrifying for one thing and weird, but he might beat me, you know? Because the demons, Satan, they know a whole lot about God, but... Just because you know a lot about God doesn't mean you have a relationship with God. Real faith is active. Real faith obeys. Real faith is alive. Real faith changes us so that we look more and more like Jesus. And if that's not the case, then I'm going to be as blunt as James is. Your faith isn't real. What you have is just intellectual acceptance of Jesus. 
but it's not faith. Now let me clarify something. James isn't saying, and I'm not saying either, that good works in any way save us. I'm not saying that. I don't believe that. The Bible doesn't teach that because they don't. But that doesn't mean that good works aren't important, and it doesn't mean that good works aren't essential to our spiritual lives. See, Paul writes in Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. In other words, your works do not save you. You cannot save yourself by doing good works. But look at what Paul goes on to say. For we are God's workmanship. And he's writing to followers of Jesus here who have been saved already. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do what? To do Good works. You see, our good works don't save us, but good works are the natural result of faith. When you have real faith, it will result in good works. That's what Jesus teaches. Jesus says you will be able to identify a tree by its fruit, and good trees bear good fruit, and bad trees bear bad fruit. Good works are the natural result of living by faith. And so, faith and deeds need each other to survive. They go hand in hand. It's not an either or, but a both and. And when you separate faith and works, you end up with both dead faith and dead works. Because here's the thing. The goal of life is not just to do good deeds, to just do good works. Because just doing good works for the sake of doing good works will never get you to God. You will always fall short, and you will end up living an empty life. You have to have a relationship with Jesus. But also, the goal of life is not just to download the right information. It's not just to know what's right. It's not just to believe the right stuff from Scripture, because that's empty as well. No, the goal of life is to have real faith that results in you looking more and more like Jesus. And that's why James goes on to say in verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. In other words, you want to see real faith? I'll show it to you as I live like Jesus in this world. See, what James here is getting at is that this faith that he has, this relationship that he has with Jesus has changed him and he will never be the same because he now knows Jesus as Lord. Several years ago, before Alice and I had Addie, we took Alex to a UK ball game in Lexington back when we lived in Kentucky. And what was funny was we went to this ball game and somebody gave Alex a foul ball. And they gave him a foul ball, and he was all excited, and he played with it through the entire game. And I was worried that he might lose this foul ball. It's a pretty cool thing. And so I said, here, buddy, let me hang on to it. He's like, no, no, this is my ball. This is my ball. I want to keep it. And I was like, well, okay. And so we got ready to leave. The game was over. Got into our car, drove home. It was late that night. Remember, we lived about an hour away from Lexington. We got back to the house, and he woke up because he fell asleep, like I said. He woke up. He's like, where's my baseball? Where's my baseball? And we started to look around the car, look in our stuff, look in our bags. The ball was nowhere to be found. And he started to cry and cry and cry. I mean, he was crushed. He wanted his baseball. I was tempted to drive back to the ballpark, but it was an hour away. It was at night, and I knew if he had dropped the ball somewhere or left it in his seat, it was gone. Somebody else had picked it up. 
And so he went to bed that night crying. And as a dad, I was crushed. I hated to see him like that. The very next day, I had to go back to Lexington for a different reason. And I drove past the ballpark where Kentucky plays. And so I pulled in there. I didn't even think twice. And I got out of my car. Of course, there wasn't a game going on, but I thought maybe I could find a worker or somebody who's cleaning up and just see if maybe they found a foul ball or if they have an extra one somewhere. I'll even pay them for it if they have one. And so I got out, and sure enough, I found a guy who was cleaning up. He was sweeping. And I just told him the story about how my son lost his foul ball. And I said, you wouldn't happen to have another one around here. I'll even pay you for it if you have one. And he said, no, I haven't found one today. I haven't seen one anywhere. But you know... There are some weeds, high grass, and some trees back over there behind the ballpark, and they hit balls back there all the time. If you go back there and look, you might find one. A lot of people don't go back there and check because there are snakes back there. <coughs> I was like, okay, now something you need to know about me. I hate snakes. I am terrified of snakes. But I love my little boy. And I went back there, and that high grass made a lot of noise, but I looked for a foul ball, and sure enough, I found it. I found this one right here that I'm holding. And I was so excited until I got back to my car and then the campus police had written me a ticket for parking in the wrong space. But um, I went to the campus security office and told them the story and the lady was so moved by the story that she tore up my ticket. I played the preacher card as well, that helped. So I got out of the ticket. But I remember driving home looking at that foul ball in my passenger seat and thinking, how did I get to this point? Because three years ago, I would have never done something like that. Three years ago, I would have never gone out of my way to stop at a ballpark to ask somebody for a foul ball, then go search through high weeds where there's snakes to try to look for this ball and then find one and then find out there's a ticket on my car and all this hassle and trouble. I would have never gone through all that hassle, all that trouble just for a foul ball. What changed? My son changed me. Because when you truly love someone, it's not just words. You want to express it. And oftentimes you express it in extreme ways. You guys know that to be true. Some of you guys have expressed love to someone in an extreme crazy way. Maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's been your kids, maybe it's a parent or some other friend, but you've done that before because that's what love does. Real love it's not just words, it's action. And sometimes we express it in crazy, crazy ways. See, I think that's what James here is getting at. It's the way our relationship with Jesus should be. If we truly do love him, if we truly do live in relationship with him and we've experienced his love as well, that should radically change us. And we should be willing to go to extremes in order to show that we love him. That's why in Galatians 5 verse 6, the Bible says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Did you catch that? God's word says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And when you truly love Jesus and you live in relationship with him and you have true faith in him, it will affect your daily life to the point that you do things for him that people will look at you and say, that's nuts, that's crazy. But for us, it's not nuts. It's just faith. I've already heard that there were some people who were criticizing what we did at our carnival last week. People on the outside, not in our church. And they were saying things like, well, that's a waste of money. Why would our church do that? Churches aren't supposed to be about just carnivals and having fun and parties. And I've already heard some of that stuff. It's a small minority, but I've heard it. 
To some people, what we did last week, all the money we spent on that, it's crazy. It's nuts. To us, it's real faith. Because when you truly love God, you will love him in crazy ways and you will love those that he loves. Because real faith changes us so that we look more and more like Jesus. Real faith shows up in real ways to help real people. And so let me ask today, is there a gap in your life? Is there a gap between what you claim to believe and how you're actually living? Because if there is, there doesn't have to be. I've got the answer for you. The answer is seek Jesus, pursue him. Because when you seek Jesus, when you get to know him, you will fall in love with him. You will experience his love. He will change you and you will start to live more and more like him. So where's the gap for you? Is there someone in your life right now that you need to reach out to? Someone you need to show love to? A neighbor, a coworker, a family member, a friend? And you haven't been doing it and you know you need to, but there's a gap right now between what you believe and how you're actually living? What about when it comes to giving? Do you know what the Bible says about giving, but there's a gap right now and you're not giving to the ministry of the church like you should be and you know you need to be, but there's a gap right now? What about because of serving the ministry of the church? Is there a gap right now between what you believe is right and what you're actually doing? What about when it comes to being a faithful husband or a faithful wife? Is there a gap right now? What about when it comes to being the parent that God is calling you to be for your children? Is there a gap? Maybe there's something you need to stop. Maybe right now you know that you need to submit to God's definition, God's definition of sexual intimacy, and you're not doing that right now. And you know it's toxic in your life, but you have allowed this gap to exist between what you believe and how you're living. Maybe you need to stop cheating at your workplace like everybody else's. Maybe you need to stop some addictive behavior. I don't know. Maybe you need to stop something because whatever you're doing is toxic and it's killing your relationship with Jesus. But maybe what you need to do is just finally take the first step of faith and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you need to get baptized today because your life is far from God and you know it's not right. Your heart is telling you, your soul is telling you, you are missing something and you know what you need to do, but you've been putting it off and putting it off. Maybe what you need to do is give your life for the first time to Jesus today. Whatever the gap is in your life, it doesn't have to be there. Seek Jesus and when you seek and pursue him, you will fall more in love with him. He will change you and you will start to look more and more like him. Let's be a church where real faith shows up in real ways to help real people. Would you pray with me? Father, we don't want to be a church that just sits back in our easy chairs and listens to what your word says and believes it's all true, but never does anything with it. Father, let us be a church that has real faith a faith that's changing us so that we look more and more like your son so that we help real people in real ways. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.